If you know me and you've been around here for more than about a year, you know that I legitimately love Christmas. I love the holidays. I know that some people are Scrooges and they hate it. I love it. I love it. I love the Christmas lights. I love the decorations. I love going and looking at Christmas lights. I even love Christmas music. I love Christmas movies. Like it's the only time of year I tell the family we're going to be home, we're watching a Christmas movie tonight. We start with traditional Christmas movies like Fat Man. Has anybody seen Fat Man? Well, Mel Gibson, the greatest Christmas movie probably ever. If you haven't seen that, do your family a service and watch that. But I love the holidays. I love everything about it. I mean, at the end of the day, it truly is the season to be jolly. Ba-la-la-la-la, BS, BS, whatever you want to call it. But it's funny. Not only are the holidays a festive time of the year, they're also the end of the year. And there's just a natural inclination that happens in us as we approach the end of something to allow it to be a time of valuation. A lot of people right now are looking back over 2023 and they're seeing things they love about it. They're seeing things they hated about it. They're seeing things they wish they could change about it. They're saying things or they're seeing things they wish they can improve on. And they're gearing up for a new year because, you know, I don't know if you know this, you can't start something new until January 1st. I don't know why that is, but that's what it is. We're, we're all building up to that day. New year, new me. You know? No, but seriously, at the end of the year, it is a time of reflection. And over the next month, I want us to do a little reflecting. I think there's some things that as humans we need to reflect on, I think, that we need to evaluate in our lives. I think there's things that, that hold us back from being who God intends for us to be. And make no mistake about it, God created you for greatness. God created you for a purpose. God created you with a mission in mind when he created you. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make screw-ups. God doesn't make um, oops. God made you and he formed you and he created you and he has a plan for your life, but very few of us ever lived the life we were created for. And the problem is we hang on to a lot of stuff. The problem is we accept mediocrity and we keep doing what we've been doing and we keep wondering why we keep getting what we've been getting. And so I want to talk to you this month on Tis the Season for some very specific things. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about this is a season for evaluation. Looking in the mirror and going back and being honest with yourself, a self-inventory, if you will. It's funny, we'll be honest to everybody but ourselves. We love praise, we hate criticism. Tis a season to move forward, I'm going to be talking about that. But I think today is one of those subjects, and I might be talking to myself today because I know in a group that is this together and this holy and this perfect and this spiritual and, and this into the things of God, no one but the pastor would struggle with this. But I think it's one of the huge things that hold us back from living the life we were created for. It's one of those things that every one of us at one time or another have experienced and so many of us, the large majority of us, I'm willing to say 99% of us, can't let it go. 
I want to talk to you today on giving yourself a gift that is greater than any gift. Now, it's the season of giving, but sometimes you got to look back and say, man, I'm going to give myself a gift this year. I want to talk to you on this subject. Hey, tis the season. It's hard to even say because it puts me in a foul mood. It's hard to say because it gets me thinking about the people in my life that I need to do this with. Tis the season to forgive those that have hurt you. Mm, I hate that. My name is Gary Lamb. And not only am I the president, I am also a client of the Hold a Grudge Club. I can do it with the best of them. I'm talking about I can take you back decades and tell you where we were when you did me wrong, and I can tell you how you did me wrong and how it made me feel and how I have watched you over the last two decades delighting in the fact that things have went wrong in your life. You say, well, that's not very Christian-like. I'm just telling you the, the truth. And I can hold a grudge. Do you know the funny thing about holding a grudge is it only affects me. <laughs> Those people who did me wrong two decades ago don't think about me. Hell, let's be honest, the people who did me wrong a week ago don't think about me. But I get up every day, something triggers in me how they did me wrong, and I can hold on to it. And nothing will affect your demeanor, your joy, your purpose in life, like bitterness, unforgiveness, and holding on to a grudge. (laughs) I've learned that the holiday season is real interesting. It magnifies things. I think it's because there's stress during this season. There's jumping around. It's funny for kids, man. Kids love Christmas time. Can't wait to go to grandma and grandpa's house. They can't wait to sit on Santa's lap. They can't wait to go look at Christmas lights. Christmas for kids is generally the best time of year. They're excited about it. Now, we have those crappy kids in our home that have reached the teenage years. And it's not as fun for them anymore. Here's your gift card, move on. But our little neighbor girl, she's, I don't know how old she is, I don't really know my neighbors that good, but she's that age where Christmas is still fresh to her and exciting to her and new to her. And and I can tell Christine misses that our kids aren't there because she's always trying to get the neighbors to allow us to take the little girl to Christmas things because she wants to see it through her eyes. Because there's nothing like Christmas through the eyes of a kid. But as we grow older, man, we just become jaded to it. We go through life and the pain begins to consume us and takes over us and and the stress of the finances during the season and and the stress of having to be in a thousand places at a thousand different times gets to us. And the holidays just become stressful and they magnify the things that upset us. You want to add stress to the holiday season? Get divorced. Anybody divorced out there? Gary Lamb, I'm divorced. Anybody? Now your kids don't have to go to one Christmas or even two Christmases. They got to go to six Christmases, and you're all coordinating calendars, and this one's getting mad because they had them on Christmas Eve last year, and you didn't get them on Christmas Eve this year. And Man, they got to wake up on Christmas morning, and you'd, it, it just gets crazy. It's hectic during the holidays. You've got to become a logistics major. It just adds stress. and Then you're reminded of that relationship and the frustration begins to swell up in you. 
There's the pain of death during the holiday season. Someone's passed away and during the holidays we seem to remember those people more. The fact that we don't get to spend the holidays with them and it becomes painful for a lot of people. So many people tell me, I, I just hope to survive the holidays. And I just got to be real honest, I don't get that. It's the time that we celebrate what Christ did and he sent his son for us. It ought to be a time of thriving and not surviving. Some people will say, my goal is just to have a cordial Christmas. And it heightens those things. And then there's that one thing that I like to call, I, I think this is an Old Testament principle, actually. I believe I could back it up with the Bible. I call it the psycho factor of Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? You have that one family member that you don't see but one time a year. And you have to see them during the holidays. And you know they're going to call some type of scene. Amen. They're going to say something stupid to someone. They're going to make everybody uncomfortable. Let's be honest. How many of you, let's be honest. Let's be, I know it's church, but let's be honest. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you say, I have a psycho person at Christmas that I have to be around? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Everybody, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Now look around. Everybody look around. Those without their hands up are the psycho friends. <laughs> crazy don't know it's crazy. You ever notice that? Crazy people don't know they're crazy. It's normal to them. I was on some medicine one time, and it made me really not in my right mind, and everyone was around me was like, what's wrong with you? You don't see me yourself. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm great. Until I got off the medicine. I got off the medicine, I'm starting looking back at what I was doing. And man, at the time, though, I was crazy and didn't realize I was crazy. So those not raising their hands, they're that person in that family. The holidays, they get hectic. The holidays have a tendency to magnify good issues and bad issues. In the midst of all the stress, in the midst of all the craziness, all the bitterness that comes, that hurt can move in and steal your joy during the holiday season. I don't know what it is about unforgiveness, but it seems to magnify during this time of year. I don't know if it's we're looking for an outlet for our stress and so we begin to replay the hurt in our mind. I don't know if it's because we're forced a lot of times during the holidays to be around people that have hurt us. I don't know if it's during the holidays we see people who have hurt us and we see because on social media they appear to be living their best life that we get angry about it. It just seems like lately in my life I'm dealing with a lot of people who are struggling from the hurt that other people have caused them. I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> I've caused that. It's like a chain wrapped around your ankle. Everywhere you go, you're pulling it with you. It's like this luggage that you're carrying that you cannot put down. And things trigger it. TV shows trigger it. Songs trigger it. Social media triggers it. 
Sermons right now are triggering it. And we rob ourselves of the life God wants for us because we can't let go of what someone did to us. Because we think if we let it go, we're justifying it. We think that if we let it go, we're approving of it. We think that if we let it go, it means we've got to rekindle the relationship with that person. We think that if we let it go, we're excusing it. We think that if we let it go, we're forgetting about it or letting them think we forgot about it. We think if we let it go, that we're letting the people who hurt us, who, by the way, are not thinking about the fact that they hurt you, that it's okay that they hurt you. Unforgiveness only affects us and those around us because we take it out on them. Some of you can't have a healthy relationship right now because you're still hanging on to hurt from a past relationship and the current relationship is paying the price of the hurt in your past relationship. Some of you can't enjoy your current job because you're dealing with the past hurt of your old job and you're taking it out on the new job because you can't take it out on the old job. You already left there. Some of you are taking it out on your children, your spouse, your friends. God's put good, healthy people in your life and you can't even enjoy them because you're holding on to the hurt of past friendships. Let me give you a reality check. In life, people are going to hurt you. Let me give you another reality check that might not, you might not like. In order for someone to hurt you, they have to be close enough to hurt you. So the hurt is always going to come from people who are close to you. That's the way it goes. If they were not close enough to hurt us, it wouldn't hurt us if they hurt us. You got to be close to someone to get a knife in their back. We always seem surprised by it. We seem surprised that people would hurt us, but we fail to forget the hurt we've caused others. And so we hold on to it. And it will consume your life. It will control your life. You know how I know? Because I've been there. I've had it where I wake up thinking about the person who wronged me, disrespected me. I've woke up and... Go search them out on social media to see what their lives are like now. Been there. I I have been there where when someone tells me something's going on and so and so's like, because again, they're going to tell me something's going on because they knew at one time I knew that person and they might not know all the details that person's no longer in my life. And I delight when I hear negative things. How unhealthy is that? How, excuse my language, effed up is that when I want someone treating me the same way? There's things in my life I've done to people and I live and deal with the guilt of my actions hurting them. The thought of them sitting around and being consumed with that instead of being able to get healing and move on is something I hate. Yet I do it to myself all the time. Letting go when someone hurts us 
is not something that comes natural to us. Matter of fact, it goes against everything in our primal instinct. And our flesh and our primal, we were created and made to avenge those who have done us wrong. We like to go Old Testament eye for an eye. And you forget that New Testament, turn the other cheek. We obsess over it. We come up with cliches to make it sound really good. You know what? I'm just waiting for the right moment because vengeance is a dish best served cold. Their time will come. It's funny, when we're holding on to unforgiveness, we get real spiritual and we start quoting scripture. <laughs> They'll reap what they sow. Can't do people wrong. Oh, we like these verses, man. This is my favorite verse, Christina. Amen, right here. I ain't got to handle it. God, vengeance is the Lord's. God's going to deal with them. It's funny, I don't like when God deals with me. Then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at some family pain, if you will. If you studied the Bible, you've grown up around church, you're very familiar with the story of Joseph. Anybody know the story of Joseph? Those of you who don't, I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph real quick. Joseph had a dad. The dad had many sons. Joseph was the favorite. We parents lie and say we don't have favorites. We have favorites. Now, I love them all. I like Deion Sanders. He ranks his kids every week. He said, I love them all, but right now there's rankings. Right now, so-and-so's number one. So -and -so, like It's become a big deal on social media. And at the press conference, the, the reporter's asking, Coach, what's, what's the rankings for the kids today? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have rankings for my kids. Okay? Based on what they've done, what they're doing, how much they're telling me they love me. I'm ranking. I love them all. But we got rankings. And Joseph was the favorite. He was one of the youngest. He was next to the youngest, if I recall. I think he was the youngest at this time. Up having another one. I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me, theologians. And the dad made him this coat, and they called it the coat of many colors. We've heard the story, gave him this beautiful coat. He was favored over the others. In the rankings, he was number one. This went over like screen doors on a submarine to the brothers. One day, the brothers are out in the field working. The dad sends Joseph out there to bring them some food. They see Joseph coming. Joseph's walking with that sly cockiness because he's got the coat of many colors, letting everybody know he is the favorite. He's not out working in the field. He's got the special jacket. The brothers see him. The brothers beat the crap out of him. They're about to kill him. That is how angry and bitter they were towards their brother. They were going to kill him. One of the other brothers says, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off of him. They throw them in a ditch. Some people come by, they sell them into slavery. Joseph becomes a slave. He ends up in prison. He has some dreams while he's in prison. Potiphar, who's the, the ruler of the place, has, excuse me, Potiphar has some dreams. Someone tells him that Joseph can interpret the dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. He becomes kind of a servant to him. 
Potiphar's wife makes advances on Joseph. Joseph runs away. He does the right thing. Joseph still gets blamed. He gets put back in prison. Some time goes by. Joseph begins to gain the trust of the leaders, of the Pharaoh. He gets out. He becomes his right-hand man. He begins to move up the ranks. He becomes second in command. Now, the dream that he had was there was going to be a famine that came to the land. It was going to come to everywhere else. And Joseph told them how to be ready for the famine. The famine hits. Everybody around all over has no food, no surplus, and they begin to come to Egypt to get food because it's the only place they had been preparing for the famine. They put Joseph in charge of this. He's second in command of the country now. This is years later. Many believe it was decades later. Based on the timeline, I would say it was decades later. One day he is giving out food and he looks down and there's his brothers, the men who sold him into slavery. And they're there to ask for food. They don't recognize Joseph. Remember, it's been decades. But Joseph recognizes them. Years have passed and here he is face to face with the men who did him wrong. Here he is face to face with the men who took him from his family. Oh, by the way, they were his family. That took him from living a normal life. He is face to face with the men who slowed him in, sold him into slavery, which ultimately led to him being in prison. Yes, he's on top now, but he had a path to get there. Instead of growing up and living on the family farm, he's went through literal hell to get where he's at. All because of their actions. No actions of his own. Oh, by the way, when people do you wrong so many times, you had nothing to do with them doing you wrong. Their issue in doing you wrong was not they had an issue with you, they had an issue with themselves. Something inside of them was broken, so they hurt you. He's face-to-face with these people. And the pain that he experiences as he is confronted by those who hurt him is staggering. It's funny, I've read this verse a thousand times, and I've never read it through the eyes of the pain that he saw. Look what it says in Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So his brothers have come, they're reformed, they're asking for food, they have no idea it's Joseph. The pain for Joseph he could no longer control. Here's a guy who literally is now losing it. He's at his breaking point. You ever been there from the hurt someone caused you? You don't think you can take one more thing? You don't think you can deal with one more betrayal? You don't think you can deal with one more gossip about you? You don't think you can deal with one more lie about you? You think you've been strong? You think you've been tough? You think you've taken the high road and they continue to attack you? And now you finally reach your breaking point. You're confronted by the one who tried to ruin your life. That's where Joseph is. He ushers everyone out. Everyone leave. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
The Bible says, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. He snaps. He breaks. He can no longer deal with the hurt. Let's be honest today. We all had that potential from someone who's hurt us. You ever think you've got an issue in your life that you think you've got under control? You think you have forgiven them and moved on? You think you have moved on from the issue when really all you've done is forgot about the issue, but suddenly you're confronted by the issue and all the pain comes rushing back? It's kind of like you packed it down and you packed it down and you packed it down. You ever packed something down enough until finally it can't get anything else and you're still packing it down and all explodes back out? That's what we do so many times with hurt. We don't deal with the issue of our hurt. We just pack it down. My wife asks me all the time, are you good? I say, I'm good. She goes, are you good or are you white-knuckling it right now? Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm white-knuckling it. She says, the problem with white-knuckling something is eventually your hand gets tired of gripping and you let go. But that's what we do with hurt. We pack it down, especially men. But man, we're men. We don't deal with our feelings. Someone hurt us, we shrug them off, we forget about them, and we move on. Until we can't forget about them and move on. Because wherever you go, there you are. Something will re-trigger your issue if you don't get the issue fixed. I'm telling you today, some of you are being controlled by unforgiveness in your life or hurt in your life. And, And listen, the person who hurts you is close to you. It might even be your spouse. It might be your children. It might be your parents. It might be another family. It might be your best friend. And you think you have moved on from it, but the reality is you haven't. And what's going to happen is you're going to be confronted with them. And you're going to have to deal with it. It will break you. He's at his breaking point. He's at his breaking point so mad that he wept so loudly that those outside the room, or he sent everybody outside the room, they heard him. And word got back to Pharaoh's household. That's the king of the day. He's second in command. Now, now Pharaoh has heard something is wrong with his second in charge. It's powerful. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Well, how would you like to have been those brothers? You ever confronted the person who hurt you? Sometimes you get that luxury. Sometimes you don't. Whether you get the ability to confront them or not, the key is do you know how to let go? I'm Joseph. Is is my father still living? (laughs) But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I think that's very poignant right there. I don't think there was anything wrong with Joseph confronting them. They were in front of him. But so many times we want to seek out those who've hurt us and let them know how they've hurt us. Here's the deal. You can seek them out all day long. They're not going to know how to respond. So what's the point? His brothers stood there with their mouths dropped open. They were terrified. The, The totality of the hurt they have caused is now before them. 
That's right. That's why I want to confirm. Listen, the totality of the hurt they've caused you will confront them no matter what. You don't know the consequences they dealt with because of their actions. And that's the other problem with so many of us. We want to be the one who, who signifies the consequences instead of letting God signify the consequences. We get obsessed with them. We want to see their downfall. We want to create actions in the process. We become so obsessed with watching every move they make to make sure that they have a downfall that we miss out on the fact that, man, just let it play out. Because there is truth that you reap what you sow. There is truth that vengeance is God's. There is truth that God has a way of dealing with things. Just like he deals with us, he'll deal with them. The key is he will deal with them in his own way. And his way will probably be a lot more grace-filled than how you would have dealt with it. And that's hard for you, but it's not hard for you when you're the one receiving the grace. We want grace, but we don't know how to give grace. Matter of fact, I'd, I'd be willing to say, in my experience, nine times out of ten, those who've received the most grace are the least likely to give grace. I don't understand that. My wife is the exception to that rule. She's received grace and knows how to give grace. Most people don't know how to do that. You did this, this, and this, and I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, I did. Have you forgot what you did? I'm not trying to play ping pong with you. But we all screw up. Those who receive grace, man, we have a hard... That's weird to me. My father's still living, but his brothers were not able to answer him. Over the course of this story, you're going to see that Joseph gives his brothers food. He sends them back home to get their father and bring him back there to live in safety. He doesn't lord over them. He acts in a way that, dare I say, is godly and not in his flesh. I don't know that he does it for the brothers. I think he does it for himself. He understands now the responsibility that he has in his life and the purpose that he has in his life. He looks at him and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, it's on your coffee cups. That's where that verse comes from. He goes, I didn't like what I had to go through. But what you put me through now put me in a position to help hundreds and thousands of people make sure they have food. <laughs> Dare I say, his, his mess became his ministry. Never follow a leader who doesn't have a limp. Let me repeat that when you process what I just said. Never follow a leader who doesn't have a limp. If they got it all together, let's back that up. If they appear to have it all together, they're hiding something from you. It's funny, we won't real and we won't authentic until the leaders in our life are real and authentic. I hate the fakeness of leaders. But oh, 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 that was too real. He just admitted his struggles. So how do we deal with it? What do you do when you've been hurt? What do you do when you've been betrayed? I'm going to give you three choices you have to make today. And hear me out when I say, hey, intentionally chose that word. I'm going to give you three choices you have to make. 
Because whether or not to forgive someone is a choice. You decide whether you're going to do it or you decide whether or not you're not going to do it. There will never be a supernatural thing that just gives you the power to move on. You have to make the choice. You have to make some conscious decisions. My wife and I have been through some hell in our 10 years of marriage. I'm sure everybody here can say you've been through some hell and ever how many long you've been married. It's okay to say amen to that. It's called two different people coming together and being together. We had to get to the point in our life where we looked at each other and said, we choose to live from this day forward and no longer talk about the past. We choose to no longer bring up those things. We've brought them up a thousand times. What good does it do? We don't have a DeLorean that we can get in and go back to the future to fix them. They've happened. They're done. There is no changing them. So we have one of two choices. We go our separate ways. Or we move forward. Not to quote Jelly Roll, but there's a reason the front window is way bigger than the rear view mirror. <laughs> Problem is so many of you are driving looking at the rear view mirror and you keep wondering why you're wrecking. That just came to me too, man. That must have been God. I don't know. That was good. I ain't going to lie. That was good. Like if I was one of them big time mega church pastors, I'd take that little clip and put it on TikTok and everybody think I was great. But I ain't and we ain't. Hmm. You got to make a choice. Because I'm going to tell you what comes natural to me when you wrong me. I want to destroy you. I want to ruin you. I want to beat the hell out of you. I'm just going to be honest. can't believe you're saying that. I'm just being honest. Now, here's what I know. Nothing good comes. Matter of fact, we live in a day and time where everybody's got a video camera on them at all times. If I beat the hell out of you, I'm going to jail. What good is that going to do? Now i got to come up with money to bail myself out. Then i got to get just busted. Then it's going to be all over Facebook. Then everybody's going to be sharing it more than they share about me now. No wonder he threw Christmas Pete out of the mill. He beat the hell out of somebody. What do you expect? That's what I expect from that guy. You heard about him? He, he tried to give out needles 10 years ago. Of course he did that. Like, what good's going to come out of that? Do clip that part and put it on TikTok. <laughs> Nothing good's going to come out of that. So i got to make some choices. The older I get, it's crazy. The older I get, the more I crave peace. I know some of you find that hard to believe following my life. But I don't crave drama. Now my old flesh comes out every now and then and I like to stir it up a little bit when I get bored. But I do truly crave peace. 
Christine, I just had this discussion this week. She goes, what's the number one thing you want in a relationship? I said, without fun, I said, peace. I want peace. The one thing I want in my life is peace. I, I don't want to be in constant turmoil. But some of us have lived in discomfort for so long that we become comfortable in our discomfort. I would actually say over the last few years as I have learned to enjoy peace, I was that person. You ever been around a junkie? You ever been around a junkie coming off drugs? I, I, I got like that for a while. Not because of drugs, let me preface. Because I didn't know what to do with peace in my life. I didn't know what to do without conflict in my life. I, I, this is a broad statement here. Because at the end of the day, she's still a female. But I didn't know what to do married to a normal female. Normal female. Who wasn't looking to just be crazy all the time. She probably didn't know what to do. <laughs> Not that I was normal, so I don't know. But, but I crave peace. I had to make some decisions in my life to let go of some things. Now, again, before I even get into these points, I want you to understand something. When you make these choices, you're not excusing those who hurt you. I know I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. It's so vital. Because some of you are going to tune me out. I'm not justifying what they did. I'm not excusing what they did. I'm not forgetting what they did. I'm not looking to have a relationship with them. I recently had a family member come after me. He'll never be part of my life again. I'm not going to justify anything about that, but I'm going to give myself the gift where that person doesn't have control over me. So don't, don't think moving past your past hurts means you have to invite the drama back into your life. There's consequences for people's actions. The consequence is that you are no longer part of my life. Instead of the consequence is I'm going to try to destroy you. You'll destroy yourself. But we've got to make some choices. You've got to choose some things. The first one's going to be real, real simple, but I think it's so vital and I'm not even going to hang out here real long today. But I need you to understand this one is so vital because you cannot do it in the natural. You can only do it in the supernatural. Because forgiveness does not come naturally. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to choose to pray. <laughs> you got to give it to God. You wrong me, and I don't go to God first. I'm going to prison. And anybody who's been around here alone knows my greatest fear in life is prison. I am too sexy for prison. I'll be like this right when I walk in. Just whatever. Don't do nothing to me. I am not cut out for prison. Face tattoos do not look good on me. I'm not sharing my dessert with you. I'm just not, I ain't, listen, if I drop the soap, it's staying on the ground. I ain't cut out for prison. So what I got to choose is I got to choose to go to God. Because I cannot move on from the hurt in my own flesh. 
We're going to choose to pray for the situation. We're going to pray for two people. We're going to pray for ourselves. God, I cannot do this on my own. And we're going to pray for those who hurt us. You ever prayed for those who've hurt you? Oh, it's hard. I'm talking about it so hard that in the beginning stages of it, you can't utter their name. God, I pray for... God, I pray for... God, I... I... You, you know who they are, God. Amen. Then, this is just me. I know y'all are more spiritual than me. Then I get to the point where I can say their name. Lord, I pray for so-and-so. But when I say their name, I get angry. So normally, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. Lord, I pray you'd kill them. Lord, I pray they woke up today and they have flat tires. Lord, I pray that something so vile happens to them that they can't even function. And then I pray like that for a few months. But at least I'm saying their name. And I'm justifying it in my mind that God tells me to pray for those that have hurt me. But then something always begins to happen. Lord, I pray for someone. So maybe you don't kill them today, Lord. And then a couple months later, Lord, I, I, I pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that they're happy. And I pray that they're at peace. And it's amazing how the heart begins to change in me, even though they don't even know I'm praying for them. As I begin to pray for those who hurt me, no one lived this example out more than Jesus. <laughs> Jesus lived a perfect life. And he was rejected over and over and over again. He took 12 men and did life with them, and one of them betrayed him for a bag of silver. Betrayed him with a kiss. The Last Supper, he calls Matt, says, the one that's dipping with me is the one who will betray me. I always say this. In your group, there's always someone who's going to betray you, and they're close enough to dip bread with you. That's hard. He goes to trial. Pontius Pilate says, I can't find anything wrong with him. And in the most spineless move in history, he says, I find nothing wrong with him. But he goes to the people and says, what do you want? We'll crucify Jesus or we'll set him free. And the people who just weeks earlier were following his teaching said, crucify him. That's how quickly people will turn on you, by the way. One week you're riding in on the donkey on Palm Sunday, and the next week they're yelling, crucify you. Never get excited about the cheers because they'll turn to jeers real quick. They hang him on a cross, and creation begins to mock the Creator. They drive stakes through his hands. They whip him, they're mocking him, and as he's hanging on the cross, he says these words. Father, forgive them, but they do not know what they're doing. He goes to the Father and prays forgiveness for those that are hurting him. That's huge. It's huge. You've got to go to God. Unleashing forgiveness is unnatural. So you've got to operate in the supernatural. You can white knuckle it in the flesh, but you cannot truly release somebody until you go to God. But Gary, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. There's some of you that as children, 
were betrayed by adults in your life and who should have been protecting you and they didn't, they hurt you instead. I can't imagine that hurt. I need you to understand something. I am not minimizing it. Some of you said for debt till death to us part with someone and you thought they were the one and you were going to do life with that person. You guys were going to go through hell or high water and they hurt you. I hate that for you. Some of you had a best friend. You told them everything because, man, you guys were thicker than thieves and they turned on you and let everyone know your business. You brought someone in who had nothing and you began to do business with them when they took all the business. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I need you to understand something today. I'm not minimizing what was done to you. I'm just trying to give yourself the gift of no longer carrying that bitterness around. You do not forgive for them. You forgive for yourself. I have people in my life that I have forgiven who will never even know that I have forgiven them because I will have no contact with them again. But I couldn't keep replaying what they did to me over and over. They hurt me years ago, but I let them do it every day by replaying it every day. I had to give myself the gift of forgiveness. And the only way that happened is through prayer. God, I need you to get me through this. God, I can't do this on my own. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to choose to pray. That's a choice. I'm going to tell you something. It will be hard to do. I can't explain it. To utter the words, to pray for someone who's hurt you, oh my God. Like I, we say it and we laugh, but it is hard. It's hard to utter their name. But God knows their name. So when you can't utter their name, God knows their name. But it's amazing how God will soften it over time. We're going to choose to pray. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to choose to forgive. Hear me out. Forgiveness is a choice. I'm going to unleash you from the chain that you've wrapped around my leg. Genesis 45.4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. I like that explanation point because I think he's still a little bit, I mean, like, he's just human. In case you forgot the one you sold to Egypt. That's how I picture that going down. And then he called himself and collected himself. You know why? Because if you watch the life of Joseph, he, he always put God first going back to the first one praying. I believe Joseph had been praying for years. God had used him for years. When his testimony was ruined because of nothing he did, he still believed in God and trusted in God. He had a relationship with God that got him to the second point. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. And look what he says. Now he begins to reassure them. It's crazy to me. They hurt him. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. <laughs> because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
That's forgiveness right there. Hey, stop beating yourself up over what you did for me, did to me. I didn't see it at the time. I didn't understand it at the time. It hurt at the time. I was confused at the time. I was angry at the time. I was bitter at the time. I carried around just resentment at the time. But now I see why God allowed it to happen. I wouldn't be here today had you not done that yesterday. I've got a buddy of mine, he was a pastor and he wrote a book and he'll tell you that him and his wife went through the most horrible experience they could ever go through, both of them. He didn't understand at the time. And she didn't understand at the time. And they both were wrong in the situation. And years later, they teach all over the country to couples that have gone through that situation. They said for the first time, that situation allowed them to strip away all the lies, all the insecurities, and be nothing but honest with each other because they had nothing to lose and it saved their marriage. Seems a little crazy to me. I don't think they wish they had to go through that to get to that, but it looks like they had to go through that to get to that. Some of you are so focused on the journey and the pain of the journey that you can't enjoy the destination. I love where I'm at in life. I tell people, I have more fun asleep than most people have awake, and I believe that. But I had to go through some hell to get here. I didn't like it at the moment. I didn't understand it in the moment. But I'd never be here today had I not been there yesterday. Had everyone not abandoned me in my darkest hour, I wouldn't be here today with true friends. Appreciating true friends. Understanding what being a true friend means. Because of what I went through, I've been able to walk others through it wasn't the path I chose for myself. But you've got to choose to forgive. <laughs> We're going to choose to forgive. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, he said, for if you forgive men who, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. <laughs> That's a sobering verse. Why is God going to forgive you if you're not willing to forgive? Forgiveness is not an elective course in Christianity. That's the problem with so many of us. We act like the Bible is the golden corral. We think it's a buffet. We can pick and choose what we want. I like that part, I'll take it. That part looks good, I'll take it. I don't want that part. I'm going to forget about that part. Forgiveness is something we have to do. And then maybe you're even like me. I can you're going to say, I'll forgive you one time. Anybody say, I forgive you one time. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> if you do it again, no, I'm done. I think Jesus knew that was probably going to happen in our lives. That's why he had a conversation with Peter. 
Peter came to him and asked him, hey, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Like Peter thought he was doing something big. Hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who's done me wrong, man? I'm the bigger man. Seven times? <laughs> Ain't that impressive? He said, not seven times, 77 times. Meaning, as many times as it takes. I thank God that God is not a God of second chances. He's a God of thousands of chances. And 2,000 chances. And when you're stupid like me and you keep messing up, he's like, God, he is an idiot. I'm going to give him another chance. Isn't it funny that God gives us chances after chances after chances every single day? But we don't want to do it to other people. My question for you today is, who is it in your life that you haven't forgiven? Who? You know who they are. They've already popped in your head. Not who is that you haven't forgiven. Who are the multiple people you haven't forgiven? Think about it for a minute. Let's get uncomfortable for a minute. Let's just have that awkward silence for a minute. Feel that lump in your throat right now? That tightening in your lips right now? Because you're getting angry? You don't even like mentioning their name. But you know who they are now. So the question becomes, how do you forgive? Sounds good, doesn't it? Forgive them. Question becomes, how? Well, we start with the first thing. We go to God in prayer. But I've learned this is the easiest way. And I, and I preached steps on how to forgive. Matter of fact, one of the, the sermons I preached all over the place is called 4D Forgiveness. You've got to be in the fourth dimension, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a good sermon. And it's got good steps in it. And I thought about throwing those steps in today's sermon. But really, at the end of the day, there's one way you forgive. For me, anyway. You focus on how God has forgiven you. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive? God, I hate that last part. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When I look back over my life and I think about how good God has been to me and how God has redeemed me and how God has restored me and how God has used me when I was unusable, when I had hurt so many people. But that's the big things you know about. You don't know about the little things that you don't know about, you've only heard rumors about. And yet God's forgiven me. And God continues to use me. And God continues to bless me. 
And I got up this morning and my wife was next to me. And my kids were in the next room. And I had a roof over my head. It was pouring rain and there was no rain pouring in. And I realized how good God's been to me when I don't deserve it. And I think if I was to lock myself in a room and begin to take a piece of paper and just start writing down names of people I've done wrong in life, I'd go through a huge spiral notebook of people. And yet God still uses me. Suddenly I'm like, who am I not to forgive? And you know what? If I listed all those people's names... and I listed the grievance off to the side, the grievance they've done to me, I bet I could add a third column. Someone I've done the same grievance to. <laughs> lied to me. I've lied to people. Misled me. I've misled people. Gossiped about me. I've gossiped about people. Went after what was mine, I went after what was others. So it ultimately comes down to this, and excuse my language here. Who in the hell am I not to forgive someone? What arrogance do I live in that I think I'm better than someone and don't get to forgive them for doing me wrong. He picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock. He said, as far as the east is from the west, he has forgiven my sins. He sent his only son because he knew I'd be so effed up to live a perfect life and die on the cross for my sins, preemptive forgiveness. Before I ever even screwed up, he's already taken care of it. Who am I not to forgive? So i got to choose to forgive. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to stay on this last point long. I'm going to lose some of you on this last one. The last one is a choice that actually will show whether or not you've forgiven or not. And I hate it. Uh, let me repeat it. I hate it. I'm going to go ahead and brag on myself for a minute. I'm pretty good at the first one. I'm actually pretty decent. It might take me three or four years to get to the second one. Sometimes ten. But eventually I get to this one. This third one, boy. I feel like a hypocrite preaching on it. But it's a choice you got to make. If you truly want to forgive and you want to move on past the hurt. Number three, we're going to choose to bless. Those who have heard us. Verse 8 in Genesis. 
So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. You thought you did this, but God did it. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Look what he says in verse 9. God, I hate this verse. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Joseph's saying this to his brothers. Remember the ones that sold him into slavery? He said, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. You beat me up when I was young. You threw me in a ditch when I was young. You threw me into slavery, or you sold me into slavery when I was young. I spent a large portion of my adult life in prison because of your actions. Now go home and get dead and come back. I'm going to take care of you. Bring all the flocks here. I've got land for you. Bring the grandchildren. I've got place for them. There's going to be five years of famine and still left to go. And don't worry, you're not going to go hungry because I'm going to take care of you. You did me wrong, but I'm going to bless you in the middle of it. <laughs> Romans 12 says this, Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you become destitute. Do not take revenge. Oh, God, I hate that verse. Do not take revenge. On the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When God got to talk about these verses when I get to heaven. When you get to number three, you realize why number one is so important. You better be prayed up when you get to number three. Just in case you want to argue with me, Dan, I'll give you another verse. Luke 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Hmm. I just don't understand the Bible, Gary. It's complicated. That ain't complicated. You ain't got to like it. I hate it. But it's life-changing. When you can look at someone who hurts you, and if the opportunity arises for you to be a blessing to them, still be a blessing to them, you realize you've forgiven. Sometimes being a blessing to them is just not destroying them. Sometimes being a blessing to them is just not beating the tar out of them, even though they deserve to have the tar beat out of them. <laughs> Sometimes being a blessing to them is when they're airing your dirty laundry, you take the high road and don't air theirs.
Sometimes it's even more real than that. The person who wronged you suddenly in a situation where you can help them. I wish I could tell you, man, I think I could do that without thinking about it. I have to really get back to number one to be able to do number three. But in some ways, but in some ways, what better revenge? They expect me to come after them. They would never expect me to love them and be a blessing to them. That shows weakness, does it? Or that shows strength? That's a whole lot harder for me to do than beating the tar out of them. And I beat the tar out of them, and I only get enjoyment for that for <laughs> until the police come. <laughs> that I mean that bologna sandwich. It ain't as good. Choose to bless them. Back to Genesis. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. He kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. You want to let go of the person who wronged you? You got to make some choices today and I got to get out of here and get done. You got to choose to pray. I'm telling you, you better hunker down. You might have to stay at number one for a year or two. Honestly. As long as it takes. But I'll tell you this. The longer you stay at number one, the longer you punish yourself. I'm just not ready. Cool. I get it. I get it, and I'm not judging you. But again, you're allowing them to still have victory in your life. You're allowing them to still have effects in your life. You're allowing them to hurt you over and over and over in life, and you're allowing yourself to rob yourself of victory. I gave years and years to this organization, and they did me wrong. I get it. Got to let it go. You got to get in the supernatural. You're going to choose to forgive. It's a choice to make. I'm not forgiving you for your sake. I'm forgiving you for my sake because I can no longer live with the baggage of what you did to me. Oh. I'm going to tell you, it'll take a while to get to number three. The opportunity to live out number three may never even come. But if it does, that's when you find out if you really lived out number two or you're just white knuckling it, as my wife says. I've thought I've had victory over some people before. Reality was I just didn't see the people. Then I saw them. And it all came back. Matter of fact, it came back worse than it was before because I'd been holding it in so long. I didn't, I hadn't forgiven. I'd forgotten. Now I was reminded. Tis the season to let go of the person who hurt you. I'm sorry they hurt you. I wish as your pastor, I wish as your friend, I could take away the pain. For those of you that I've heard, I'm sorry. But it's the season to move on from that. The greatest gift you can give yourself 